And this is Art Star Scene Radio. Hi. Radio! Yeah. Ass yeah. I am Face Boy. I am Face Girl. I am Juno Tempest. Back with us in the studio, Immodesty Rose. Hello, everyone. We're so glad to have you back. We lost your episode. I know. I'm glad we were able to come back. We got re-recording. Everything's good now, right? Oh, are we set up with the backup? It looks like it's recording. <laughs> it looks like nothing. <laughs> you can't tell. I can't tell. Yeah. It looks like a clock. <laughs> Everything looks like the way it's supposed to look. Uh-huh. It's a good The little clock counting down behind you. Mm-hmm. Watching time slowly fade away. Mm-hmm. We're all getting older. It's been 59 minutes, seconds. <laughs> Feels like an eternity. Wouldn't it be fucked if it didn't record again? Yes. Then you just have to have me come back a third time. I like that. <laughs> I would be wondering what you're up to. <laughs> yeah, that's that's an elaborate scheme, for even for you, Faceboy. Why does my mic sound weird? Yeah, mine, mine did too. Mine does too. I have no idea what it is. Oh, my goodness. What kind of weird? Like too high? No, it's like tinny. Yeah. Yeah, I've noticed that. Tin, tin, tin. Tin, tin. We're just going to hope it goes tinny. away. Hi. I'm Tom Tinny. Yeah, because there's, there's nothing I can... I'm not, I'm not messing with this stuff. Tinny titties. <laughs> yeah, don't. So about, uh, about three weeks ago, um, I met this, uh, this woman, and, and I liked her. And I, I Aww, kinda, that's, that's me, right? No, I met you two weeks ago. Oh, two weeks ago. But Someone I, else three uh, weeks ago. I do like you. Okay. I'm wearing I kind of assumed it was about shoes. you as well. <laughs> the single malt machine. And I was like, dumb, dumb, you met her two weeks ago. So um, I sort of thought she was into me, and I, I tell my girlfriend Lucille about it. And she's like, okay, are you going to tell her that you have a girlfriend? Are you going to tell her that your girlfriend is married? Are you going to tell her oh, it's okay because you're a poly? Are you going to tell her that you're bisexual, but you don't sleep with men anymore because I peg you in the ass? And I'm like... Not all at once. That <laughs> is kind of a lot to lead with. Yeah. You, gotta, you gotta save something for the second date. Yeah, yeah. like the second knuckle. <laughs> but you know, when, when she gets excited, she starts talking real fast and all get it just it all comes out at once. <laughs> I've never seen her not excited. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um Immodesty Rose was here two weeks ago and as we have mentioned, um we didn't the, the episode didn't record, so some of the things you're going to hear are, if you listened live two weeks ago, you're going to hear it again, And uh, but there are also going to be some new things. And I started that episode with some facts and figures that I want to bring up again. Uh, on that day, I think it was that morning, Face Girl had said to me something about President Trump, that she we all expected the world, and feel free to... Oh, yeah. To drink all of the bottle? Yeah. Why did you bring a Sweet. bottle? Because he's classy. He's yeah. a classy no, he's not. I know him. <laughs> I'm a classy gentleman. No. <laughs> he's up to shit. There's some, there's some natural mountain spring water. In case you need like a little splash to open it up. A little splash to open it up. And he bathed. Oh, my God. You are being such a bitch right now. I can't man. help it. <laughs> Is this when you're not high, or is this when you are high? Because I remember there was like a, there I know, was a right? thing last week about how nice, or last time I was here, how nice and how high you are. So, like, where would you put it? 
Uh, I'm going to go maybe a little bit, a uh, little bit of Petty Betty. So I don't know if that counts as when you're more sober or how does the nicest factor go in relation to being high? I don't know. What do you remember from, from it? <laughs> Anything? Like how high would you place me? <laughs> I heard a cricket. Is it real? There are a lot of weird sounds. So anyway, can we get back to this or do you want to talk about how high you are? <laughs> oh, that's difficult. <laughs> Oh yeah, didn't we establish that like drugs are are not okay? Did we? No, I, that was we, no. The takeaway that you guys took from the last show was we can do all the drugs we want. Yeah, yeah, in moderation. Wait, yeah. what's moderation again? Does that mean that. a lot? We'll talk about harm reduction. That's, that's, <laughs> we will. That, we'll, get, we'll get there, right? We'll, we'll get to harm reduction. So anyway, Face uh, Girl was saying it's two years into the Trump presidency, and we're all still here. You know, it's not as bad as we thought it would be. And that is, and that reminded me of when Reagan was elected. We had end of the end of the world parties because we were sure that the world was going to end, and then the world didn't end, and everyone was like, "Well, it's okay." Well, it is not okay because, as I mentioned last year, and here comes the facts and figures. It was in July 1981 that the New York Times reported that there were 41 deaths due to some rare cancer, and they were all homosexual men. Now, today there have been. An estimated 39 million deaths due to HIV and AIDS. 39 million. And I believe that it is due to the inaction of the Reagan administration that that allowed it to spread and didn't put any money whatsoever into research. In fact, in July of 1985, uh, Bob Hope said, uh, joked, I just heard that the Statue of Liberty has AIDS. She doesn't know if she got it from the mouth of the Hudson or the Staten Island Ferry, and the Reagans were seen laughing. This is four years into the crisis. Now, during Reagan's... Uh, I think the punchline was, we don't have it, right? No, that was some other joke. Okay. That was, the, that was jokes that were made at the, to the pre, by the press secretary when questioned about, you know, are you going to do anything about this? And in total, during his presidency, 61,000 people died. And I, there is a follow-up. So I said during the show two weeks ago that I place a lot of blame on the Reagan administration. And you seemed resistant to that. Are you resistant to placing blame in general? Uh, No. So I think I don't want to give any one person too much credit for the clusterfuck that was the mismanagement of HIV in the early 80s. And I do think that uh, Ronald Reagan... um, spent a lot of time looking at other areas and you know right the inf treaty now that uh putin and trump may break a part of it was something that reagan was focused on during his presidency right so there's a lot of cold war issues and a lot a lot of domestic issues but i also place a lot of blame on the faith-based community Mm -hmm. and there was a lot that really became the start of all the stigma that because it was a gay cancer or it was something that people who Drugs got that HIV from 1981 became a moral disease. And it's its classification as a moral disease that I then think allowed policy to sort of mimic off that. So we didn't really see any significant changes actually until the Bushes, strangely enough. The Ryan White Care Act. The Ryan White Care Act. Wait. How long? At, wasn't he 1981? 
No, Ryan White Care Act was in 1992. Mm-hmm. Wait. That's how long it took. Between 81, when it was first reported, it took 11 years for there to be any kind of uh, any kind of action from the government whatsoever. Now, what I forgot is, to mention for those who, who do not know the backstory, uh, Immodesty Rose is, as far as I know, the only female burlesque performer who is out about having HIV. She's also extremely knowledgeable about the subject, uh, which is why that was is going to be the focus of uh, much of this episode. And did I cut you off? But it's not important now. I was going to ask if it was like linked to when the Judith Light miniseries on TV dropped. Like, is that around? So I actually was at a conference in December and I got to meet Ryan White's mother, which was just kind of a uh, life changing experience. I have a picture of her on my Instagram Uh, And the fact that she's still continuing to do this work so many years after her son has died is phenomenal to me. But she credits a lot of the work that Steny Hoyer and some of the other Congress people came to her and said, we're never going to be able to get this through Congress unless we make it look like a family disease. So knowing that Ryan White has made friends with this point with... um, Oh, my goodness. What do I want to say? Uh, Michael Jackson. And he had this TV TV movie made about him. And he had just met all of these celebrities. And she said that she would be willing to lend her son's name to the legislation. Now, he unfortunately passed away before the Ryan White Care Act passed. And it was signed into legislation under President Clinton. But it was sort of a long-term progressive piece because it was the only way to make legislation count without having it look like this continued to be a gay disease was to use her son as sort of a poster child for giving HIV a sort of a different face of innocence. That uh, must have been a very moving experience. The entire room was in tears at one point or another. I also didn't realize Ryan White had a sister, and she talked a lot about how challenging it was to try to raise this one kid who was BFFs with Elton John and Michael Jackson and dying with another older sister who just wanted to be normal and go to the prom. Mm -hmm. And it never was supposed to be a national movement. She just wanted her son to be able to go to school, Mm -hmm. and the Indiana school board said no. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they pissed off the wrong parent. Yes, they did. And she just took it all the way to the top. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get back into some subjects that we covered two weeks ago that I think are important for people to uh, know. I think one of the first, one of the things that a lot of people don't know is U equals U. Can you speak to that? Yes. So U equals U is undetectable equals untransmittable. So what we know now is that the medication for HIV is so effective that for people who stay on their medication and become virally suppressed, and virally suppressed means that when you take a blood test, you can't find HIV in the blood sample. It is too low to be quantified. That does not in any chance mean that anybody is cured. Like I said last week, it's not like the South Park episode where... Um, Magic Johnson swam in money. Like, there is no cure for HIV. I tell people to think of undetectables like being in remission. So that if you take your medicine and you take it consistently and you stay undetectable, 
treatment becomes prevention. And through the treatment as prevention movement, we've learned that people who are undetectable cannot pass on HIV to their sexual partners. So if I'm in a trusting, committed relationship where I feel like I don't have to use a condom, I don't have to, and I do not have to worry about giving my partner HIV. And that's a, that's something that's going to be very difficult for a lot of people to wrap their minds around, especially people of my generation. Um, I'm 53 years old, uh, so I would have been 16 when this first report came out in the New York Times. And I, you know, as as we learned more and more about it, what was drummed into my head is that you get this, you die. Uh, and you, not only do you die, but anyone that you have sex with is going to die. And, and it, even before that, right, it was toilet seats and mm-hmm. saliva and... There were just, it became this really scary thing that it didn't even have to be, right? And you can't get HIV through saliva, urine, feces, anything like that, right? It's only blood or sexual fluids. But another thing it was, it's like you're going to die, but you also like your penis and vagina are just going to fall off and you're never going to be able to have sex ever again. And part of me, you know, being a openly HIV positive burlesque performer to me is to be able to say that you can continue to be sexy and be sexual while having HIV. And that's really sort of the message that I've tried to use my art for. And yes, I do have unprotected sex with important people to me. I don't have unprotected sex with everyone because you can't just trust other people's bumping uglies, right? Everybody has to take care of themselves. But if I'm with someone that I feel a commitment and a connection to, then I don't have to have sex with a condom and yeah i think that is really mind-blowing because it flies in the face of all the abstinence-based sex education we get Mm -hmm. in high school Mm -hmm. yeah i definitely did not know that like i know i heard about it with charlie sheen but i didn't believe him so that's all i knew Mm -hmm. we didn't get the best spokesmodels no (laughs) (laughs) oh i would have taken like anybody else Mm-hmm. Like we couldn't get like a Lady Gaga. We had to get the guy with like tiger blood. It just yeah, yeah. Then I started to wonder what the tiger blood was. How long has he had tiger blood? Is this tiger blood? <laughs> it's not going to fix anything. The tiger blood is not going to help. No. We're going to get back to this subject in a minute. But uh, first, Juno, you proposed a new show for Radio Free Brooklyn. Do you want to tell us about it? I did. Um, it's called Sad Trainee Poetry Hour. Um, so that the cisgendereds, uh, in, in the room, in the studio with, uh, Radio Free Brooklyn can say it without my trans mafia coming after them. (laughs) Um, and it's just going to be like, like tea party with the girls, you know? Uh, did, and when did you submit it? Uh, last week. I don't know how long it takes to find out. Yeah, I have no idea. uh, It should be. Did you mention that you've been co-hosting on Radio Free Brooklyn and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, there was a whole thing (laughs) about, like, who do you know? Uh, Just the worst people. (laughs) (laughs) So is happy poetry allowed or only sad poetry? Um, So the the name comes from uh, the affectionate name I've given my show genre reassignment every second Tuesday. At Metropolitan Bar. Um, it is Brooklyn's only trans open mic. And I got some shit, actually, from bartenders uh, 
like, you know, you have to be done like right away because, you know, normal people coming into this bar don't really want to hear like sad stuff. It kind of drives away customers. It like kills business. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I see where you're coming from. It's so, never okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, don't tell me that because then I'm just going to want to act out. Like, don't you know anything, gay man? Like, oh, yeah, you don't date women, so you don't recognize just how fucking, like, um, vindictive I can be. But, you know, go ahead. Try it. See see where that gets you. Um, so then I started calling my show Sad Tranny Poetry Hour. Um, <laughs> and it, it just kind of stuck. <laughs> But it could totally be the happy tranny poetry hour. Yeah. Well. Okay. Yeah. It's it's more like it's it's like you, you just didn't... went that way just to say fuck you. Yeah. 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 Um. So now I have proposed to Radio Free Brooklyn a show called Sad Trainee Poetry Hour. Um. Because I wanted it to be like accessible to the cisgenders. <laughs> um. I didn't want them to say a slur every time they mentioned my show. Because it's only okay to say tranny if you're trans. Uh, yeah. Or a trainee. Or a trainee. That's a trans and trainee. Yeah. Trainee. Yeah, like on this Facebook group that I'm part of, we, we use many, many different words uh, instead of tranny. Because like algorithms are starting to pick that up as a slur. They'll pick up faggot for sure. But all you have to do is take a screenshot and then post the screenshot with the word faggot in it. And it fucks up their algorithms. <laughs> Seems like a lot of effort. No, not really. It's just like, you know, clicking two buttons at once. <laughs> <laughs> I say like burlesque performers are always getting blocked on Instagram or social media mm-hmm. for, for like nipples. the, the essence of areola mm-hmm. or yeah. Oh yeah. I was I was put in Facebook timeout for twenty four hours because I posted a lewd without like I have tiny nipples, but like because there was underboob and they saw a nipple connected to that underboob, they they fucking suspended my shit for twenty four hours. That's flattering though. But I had also gotten a lot of like flags for using the word faggot. So now I just say, uh, I just write it F A Y G G O T. Okay. F A Y G's, G S, mm-hmm. fags. I got, fags. I got, I got kicked off of Facebook a couple of times when I was doing a show called Face Boys Follies just because the pictures were too hot. <laughs> it wasn't showing too much. They were just too hot. This photograph was too hot for the internet. That's why I had wow. my sex Twitter. What was that? See, I pr- I promoted. See, face boy. Thank you. I appreciate. That. With with uh, come all over my stomach and my tits. Let me see. Yeah. So I, I promoted, and uh, one of my favorite porn stars liked this uh, like this tweet. So maybe Ryan Powers, if you're listening, hi. <laughs> I hope so. You know, comment on my tweet if you're hearing this, Ryan. Nom nom nom. Because <laughs> you want to have his babies. Uh, well, I don't think he swings my way, but I can still jerk off to his videos on Twitter anyway. Absolutely. It's the, it's the only way I get any action from gay men anymore. Speaking of masturbation, <laughs> um, what position do you jerk off in? 
position? Yeah. Face down. Oh my god. That's what I that's what I was going for. I read recently about the women face down masturbating that it gets absolutely no play whatsoever. That if you're that anytime you see a woman masturbating in a movie, in a television show, they're always laying on their back and uh, with their legs up, but that there are a lot of women that jack face down. Mm -hmm. It's called jilling, jilling off. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, be be uh, you know a gentleman. So uh, you're you're face down, Jack. Face down. Face down, Jack. You? Uh, It depends on the toy, but now because of what I'm using, face up. The womanizer. Mm -hmm. Do you know about this toy? The womanizer. Please, sounds amazing. It is. Mm -hmm. Uh, It looks like a lipstick, a gigantic one, like a comedically large one. Uh, It also (laughs) looks like a perfume when it's closed. Or gigantic lipstick so again. It's, it's like the Transformers of sex toys. I guess. It, can we use this in sex toy story? Yes. Absolutely. It's and gonna, she would be like like an old Hollywood lass. Like mm. a, an old body lady. Um, like, smoking a cigarette. Like Betty yeah, Davis. Kind of the long thing yeah. on the end. Yeah, the long Absolutely. Holder. Definitely a Betty <laughs> and Davis. And explain how it works. Perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's a ringing endorsement. Yeah, I don't know how to explain it other than it just works. It vibrates. It goes over the clitoris. Uh huh. Oh, is it one of the suctiony ones? That's that's the rumor. Yeah. Hmm. But like, I, I don't know. It, I just know that it's amazing and it works and it's like very effective even if the battery is dying. Nice. Wow. Which is huge. Like even if the battery is dying, it's still mind blowing. Even if the content is terrible, mm. it's just really good. I like that. And how long have you been a face down masturbator? My whole life. Your whole life. Whole life. Whole life. Never, Same. never the other way. Uh, I've tried, especially mm-hmm. if you're in the like, show me yours, I'll show you mine, mm-hmm. or the uh, maybe your um, like the video sexting. I've been in long distance relationships before. You know that works better. But um, no, if it if it's just me and I really want to go for efficiency and pleasure. Mm. Right on my tummy, always. See, that's that's pretty hot because that's how I used to fuck the boy. Was, <laughs> like he'd end up face down, um, you know, biting the pillow. <laughs> I think it's the additional like, pressure yeah, because you get your own oh, body weight on your so yeah. yeah, yeah, and plus, like, it's just nice seeing an ass. Like speaking from a top's perspective, it's nice to like be back there. And see ass, but also have my dick and pussy. Um, it's it's pretty great. <laughs> Best of both worlds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having having sex with a face down masturbator, it's awesome. Really Why? Awesome. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's especially if you love ass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and depending upon like if you're you doing that during sex, the other partner is also going to feel like your hand on or their hand like you feel people's like if you're masturbating while somebody's inside of you like their cock is going to also feel like your fingers in addition to like Uh, being inside of you yeah i guess it's really really good (laughs) are we gonna have to excuse you for five minutes and come back (laughs) oh no it takes more than five minutes (laughs) was was that nelly showing up i don't know no i mean i i don't hook up with people who feel anything like my fingers. Maybe like my whole arm? I don't know. 
Oh. That's all. She's a size queen. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, is Nelly a size queen? I don't know. I thought Nelly doesn't have sex. Exactly. You want to see a picture of uh, my girlfriend <laughs> in, the, in the smaller? The no. Smaller oh my God, yes. I want to see the big one. Oh. This, this is the smaller one. Oh, wow. Very nice. <laughs> Have I seen uh, this? I don't know. Okay. Okay. I see you. I see you. Uh, don't you love visual stuff for radio? And she I just do. looks so proud, like just I know. standing I mean, it's there nice wielding all of that uh, yeah. Yeah. fake nice penis. Big dick. Yeah. I don't think it's smaller. I think it's just dif- different color. <laughs> I think it's the same size. Yeah. Do you name your sex toys? No. Yeah, I've I know some people get very committed, but no, I've never I'm a whore. I just can't get too attached to them. If I named a sex toy it would be with somebody and I don't think I'd remember it. I've I named one of my I named my vibrator. It like instead of Big Boss, which is what it said on the package, I named him Big Daddy. Because mm-hmm. Big Daddy is just hotter. Yeah. I don't need someone to be my boss. I need someone to be my daddy. Like take care of <laughs> Take care of me, Daddy. Oh. Now yeah. that we're back on the subject of <laughs> sex, let's talk a bit more about prevention. Let's talk about PrEP and PEP. Right. So PrEP is pre-exposure prophylaxis. So if you are not a condom person or you are with someone whose HIV status is unknown or maybe you're part of uh, sort of like a play scene or bathhouse or parties, the PrEP is a single pill that you can take every day to help prevent HIV infection. So you would take that to reduce or eliminate the risk. It doesn't work like the first day you take it. You do have to take it. I think it's up to seven days before it becomes completely effective. But then if you take that pill every day, then you are extremely unlikely to get HIV from someone, even if they are not undetectable. Are the statistics in on the uh, efficacy of this? It's not 100% effective. There have been a very, very, very small number of cases. I can only think of two right now off the top of my head. Uh, That PrEP is a drug, uh, the brand name is Truvada. And there are strains of HIV that have been around for so long that are resistant to Truvada. And so if you're having sex with someone who has a Truvada-resistant strain, then the Truvada in your body uh, wouldn't work to protect that person. However, two people in the, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, you know, just in the U.S. alone who are using PrEP, it's, you know, that's 99.999. It's Way more effective than birth control. And PEP. PEP is if you think you have been exposed to HIV or knowingly exposed to HIV, you have the ability within 48 to 72 hours to start PEP, which is post-exposure prophylaxis. And you take that every day for 30 days, and that's used to prevent getting HIV after an exposure. So neither of these drugs are going to protect you from anything else. They're very HIV-specific. So you can be on PrEP or take PEP and still get gonorrhea, chlamydia, vaginal warts, any of the other. What are called? Bernie drippy. Itchy, itchy Bernie drippy. Any of your other drippy. itchy Bernie drippies. Uh, but you will not get HIV either if you're on PrEP, if you take PEP, or if you are with a partner who is undetectable. 
Now, here's something we didn't talk about a couple of weeks ago that I was interested in. Uh, often people refer to uh, HIV positive community as sort of a club type thing. And I feel there's a danger in that. And the danger in that is that it could it could encourage what is known as bug chasers. And yeah, I mean, I think there is a... You know, I go back and forth on how real this is. I know there are definitely people who run in the community. Unfortunately, it's for all the wrong reasons. So for people who are very resource poor and don't have access to a lot of healthcare, housing, other supportive resources, entitlement programs, having HIV allows you to have uh, access to a number of resources, including like eviction prevention, health insurance, mm-hmm. um, financial incentives, free health care. So there are those kind of ben- benefits in quotes because having HIV, while easy to manage medically, has a lot of psychosocial issues that go around that compound it, such as, you know, dealing with stigma and discrimination that affect it. So there are some people who, you know, either feel that they will have better access to resources or the other group of people, which you see in younger folks, which I find to be really unfortunate, is the I'm going to get it anyway, so I'm not going to bother to not try. And I think that's the really dangerous group because we've started seeing HIV is not a super scary thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't want people to be terrified, but I also do want people to be responsible because mm-hmm. you, nobody wants any chronic illness, right? Like, don't get high blood pressure if you don't have to. Um, but there's sort of this fatalism in, like, the young MSM community that I'm going to get HIV, so it doesn't really matter. So I might as well get it now and get it out of the way with. And I, I wish we didn't think that way. Well, chicken pox. We are, believe it or not, already at the halfway part. Do, I have a question yes. before you do any of that. Uh, do you feel like you don't have any of the issues with the stigma because you're so comfortable talking about it? Or like, you are you immune to any of that like stigma stuff? Does that make... Uh, I wish I was immune to stigma stuff. But no, <laughs> I mean, people have said uh, really awful things to me. Or um, the worst is that kind of like pity or empathy look that people give you you're like oh i have hiv and there's this like the cock head and kind of like oh and it's like there's nothing wrong with me but unfortunately and you know i think one thing that we talked about last time i was here was in healthcare and like how people look at you differently mm-hmm. based on your presentation or what you have and people make assumptions about me the minute that i say i have hiv and that's the really hard part to deal with. Like, will I get in somebody's face? Absolutely. Doesn't mean it doesn't still hurt when it happens. Of course it still hurts. It's just that I feel like I have a responsibility because I am at a place in my life where I can tell people to very politely and nicely go fuck themselves Mm -hmm. that I can. And I have that luxury that a lot of other people don't, but yeah, people can still be really hurtful. Yeah. Oh, are we doing... Oh, before we do a song, um, there was a point that I didn't quite get to relating to Reagan and Trump that that we kind of feel that maybe things aren't as bad as they are, and we felt that way with Reagan. Now, I did mention the number of deaths, 
And I would just want to put this into perspective. We're talking about 39 million people have died. We were afraid that that Reagan was going to start a nuclear war. Well, one nuclear warhead, uh, Hiroshima, killed 129,000 people. So we're talking about a number that is 300 times larger than that. That It's dangerous to think that when you have someone horrible in office and it doesn't appear that anything bad is happening, it's dangerous to think that it's not. And we see horrible things happening under his administration. What about the things we don't see? That's the kind of stuff that scares me. So now we're going to have a song. (laughs) She came in through the bathroom window Protected by a silver spoon But now she sucks her thumb and wanders By the bank of her own lagoon Didn't anybody tell her Didn't anybody see Sunday's on the phone to Monday Tuesday's on the phone to me She said she'd always been a dancer She worked at 15 clubs a day And though she thought I knew the answer Well, I knew what I could not say And so I quit the police department And got myself a steady job And though she tried her best to help She could steal, but she could not rob Didn't anybody tell her Didn't anybody see The internet wants to fuck us (laughs) It's okay, I'm just looking at gangbang Oh, he's fucking with me, oh Oh, yeah. yeah That song went out to Allie, who came in through my bedroom window four years ago tomorrow. It's my kitty cat. It's her birthday tomorrow. Well, we're yeah. calling her birthday. Oh, my God. Ryan Powers has an aerial tattoo on his fucking arm. I don't know what that means. Over here. Oh, it's king. Now you got my attention. He's hot. That's exactly the demographic I'm into. I noticed you have some notes here. Is there stuff that you wanted to bring up? Well, I was thinking about some of the things that we talked about, and we did talk about prep and pep last time. You equals you. A couple things we didn't talk about was sort of like disclosure and then uh, outing yourself or outing someone else. And you asked me a little bit about how I got HIV and kind Mm -hmm. of my choice not to publicly out the person that I got HIV from. I did want to follow through on that. So let's take us back a bit and let uh, this hopefully new audience of <laughs> people who are, who are listening to this pre-recorded because you couldn't listen to it live. Give, give us the backstory on uh, how you found out that you were HIV positive. Right. So I was in what I thought was a committed monogamous relationship And my partner and I at the time had decided to make a baby. And which, of course, means that you're not using 
any protection whatsoever because, you know, you want all that jizz to get up in there. So we were successful in that. And then when I was pregnant, I started getting really sick and I got meningitis and I ended up in the hospital and couldn't figure out why. And I was so sick from the meningitis that I actually ended up having a miscarriage because I had really high fevers and I don't think that my body could support the two of us. And when I was discharged from the hospital, there still wasn't a cause for the meningitis. So my doctor, my primary care doctor, who I'd worked with before, had also done HIV primary care. So it's just the point point I also point out that I worked in HIV for five years before I was diagnosed with HIV. So in some ways, I did at least get a disease I knew. Mm -hmm. But I was scheduled for an appointment at Johns Hopkins with a specialist and Dr. Michael Malia, who changed my world. Uh, And there's a special place in heaven for him, I think, just being a phenomenal care provider, told me that I had HIV following some lab work and I knew that I hadn't been with anyone else. So the only possible explanation was that the person I was with had to be the person who gave it to me. And when we had first started having sex, you know, we kind of had the, have you been tested? Have you been tested? And I said, yes, I'm fine. And he said, yes, he was fine. Um, So he either contracted HIV after we started dating because I found out that he was uh, sleeping with men behind my back sort of what the community kind of calls as DL or on the down low. Mm-hmm. Um, or he just either didn't get tested or he got tested but chose not to share it. I, I actually don't know at what point he contracted HIV or if he knew his status. Uh, after I found out my status, I did make sure that he got tested, um, basically by withholding his car keys until he went to the Howard County Health Department in Maryland to get HIV tested. And when he got his results, I felt like it was important because most laws say that you are okay if you unknowingly give someone HIV, which I agree with. You shouldn't be penalized if you do something unknowingly. But if you knowingly and willfully infect someone with HIV, then I think there should be consequences for that. So I wanted to make sure that the next person, if Matt infected someone else, would be able to have that benchmark to sort of rely on. And unfortunately, a couple months ago, sometime between Thanksgiving and Christmas, I found out that he did give HIV to someone else. And worse than that, he told this other person that they infected him. Mm -hmm. So it was like, hi, person X, you infected Matt, where actually Matt was the person who infected me and Matt was the person who infected this other guy. And... In my opinion, that makes him a really terrible, awful, horrible person. Mm -hmm. But at the time, you know, when I was first diagnosed, I kind of wanted to like get a billboard on his with his face somewhere. Mm -hmm. Just kind of like everybody watch out for this guy. Mm -hmm. Um, But when it came to this most recent interaction, it was like, wow, if I out Matt, then I'm also outing this young kid who was 24 who is still grappling with being newly diagnosed and what it means to have HIV. But it's, you know, I wish there was, there, I wish there's a way you could make people be responsible because most of us who have HIV go out of our way to not give it to other people. But there are these just sort of bad seeds within our community that 
continue this kind of stigma and discrimination and make it hard for us to actually end the HIV epidemic. And uh, so that is a good reason not to disclose this other person's status. Um, Do you know what the statute of limitations is for uh, this newly diagnosed person? Uh, How much time does he have to decide whether or not to... You know, I don't know, and I've thought about kind of investigating and seeing what that means, but, you know, I don't know if, I mean, would they need this other young man's permission to proceed with charges? What would his role and responsibility would have to be? What is the statute of limitations? I don't know, but it is something I think about because I think it's, we have to build sort of a community and sense of responsibility. And, you know, part of it is being able to talk about, you know, the sex you're having with your doctors, the sex you're having with each other. But at some point, like, how do you teach personal responsibility? Mm-hmm. And if you can't, you know, at what point is society expected to jump in? And I think, you know, you and I have talked about, you know, we could talk about like the prison industrial complex and why that's not necessarily the best place for people either and you know people get hiv in prison all the time because you're not allowed to have condoms in prison what i didn't know that you're not allowed to have condoms in prison it is contraband because yeah it's you can't because it's considered people aren't having sex in prison so you're not allowed to have condoms in prison so allowing condoms is like the prison saying um okay we know that you're having sex even though they're not supposed to and they don't want to admit that they know it correct everybody knows that they're having sex everybody knows That's they're having horrendous. sex in prison. i didn't know that about prison can't they just let them all have condoms to jerk off into that'd be an interesting way to to propose it we got to do uh this right now going to ask you for your support radio free brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, and free expression. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you to help support our mission. We invite you to make a one-time donation or a monthly pledge at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. Every cent helps us to continue to stay on the air. So please support independent community media by pledging whatever you can afford. All contributions are tax deductible to the fullest extent of the law. Again, that's RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. Thank you, Juno. <laughs> I had to, I got all the way through it. Yeah, you did. I did. And if you want to sponsor this show, if you want to give money that goes directly to us, if you feel that we're doing something that is uh, meaningful, if we've made you think, if we've made you laugh, if we've made you come, things, if we've made you come, <laughs> literally in the studio. <laughs> we're looking that, at you, guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, right. There was the actual blowjob that yeah. took yeah. place to on completion. the air here, right? Yeah. To yeah. Completion. If we've made you come, support us. Go to rfb.nyc slash s. That's rfb.nyc slash ASS. Thank you very much. <laughs> Groundhog's Day is today. Or little, is it? I did a little research on Groundhog's Stormy. Day. And I found out 
that in 2015, Mayor de Blasio was in Staten Island and he was holding one of these groundhogs. He's six feet tall. He drops it. I hate him. A week later, it dies. Of, <gasps> yeah, of injuries uh, consistent with a fall. Oh, and now he's running for president. He's an animal killer running for he's president. He's an animal killer. He's a villain. <laughs> he's a villain. <laughs> I never knew this. I think it's I terrible. knew about that. Isn't that terrible? I'm pretty sure I knew about that. I mean, I'm up on my animal news. You, you, you usually are. Yeah, I think I knew about that, but that was long enough ago that I was like, I don't want to talk about it. So, yeah, you heard it here on Art Star Scene Radio on Radio Free Brooklyn. De Blasio is a groundhog killer. <laughs> He's no Bill Murray. What drugs? No. All of them. All of them. Yeah. Changed your life, either in a positive or a negative way. All but of them. But I'm more interested in in stories about like positive. All of them. Acid. Mushrooms. Tell me. Oh my god. Yeah, I had a conversation about my experiences ecstasy. on acid. Oh yeah, ecstasy Molly. is also good. Um, and then we're going to get into harm reduction. Sweet. <laughs> <But> yeah, <laughs> I had a conversation about my experience on acid with my uh, instructor at the boot camp. Um, also told him about uh, my my overdose where I almost had a heart attack. But uh, so, yeah, that was the negative. But acid has been a positive overall. More than anything else for me, it's been marijuana. I was super hyperactive. Um, I was, as a child, I, I got into a lot of fights that I would instigate. I was kind of a violent kid. Um, why is that funny? I cannot see you being a violent kid. No. 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 I mean, I know. Really? I can see yeah, you instigating. Devious, not violent. 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 Like, yep. And, and it was just, I was just angry. I was, at, and, and then I started smoking weed. <laughs> and you chilled the fuck out. I chilled totally the fuck out. It yeah. turned my life around completely. And it opened up creative centers in my mind that uh, I, I, I'm so grateful for. When I was writing my thesis, I wrote a play for my senior thesis. And I would figure out what I wanted the scene to be. And then I would smoke a little. And I would just listen to the characters speak the lines that fit, that fit the scene. Yeah. And I brought in one scene that I'd written that I wasn't stoned. I think I had a bad experience with weed like you had. I ran out. That was <laughs> a bad experience. The bad experience. Yeah. And the thesis committee was like, this scene is really not the same tone. There's, it's, it's lacking something. It just doesn't have the... Didn't have that steady state does, does, learning yeah, component. Yeah. And um, and I and so I rewrote it stoned, <laughs> and I, I got honors on my thesis, and that was very cool. Um, that's extremely helpful for the GPA. It's it's done so much good for my life. It has changed my life in so many good ways. Um, and LSD also uh, opened different realms of of my mind got me to think in ways that I, I, I wouldn't have otherwise imagined myself thinking. Um, but what I like about how I did LSD is I got to a point where I said, okay, if I continue doing this, then I'm saying that I didn't really learn these lessons long-term that I can, that I need this drug uh, in order to have that feeling. And if I need this drug to have that feeling as powerful as a drug as it is, then I, I didn't, I didn't trust that the lessons were real. So I stopped doing it and I still had maintained the things that I had learned from it. Yeah, I'm definitely diehard stoner. 
And it's really interesting to see how people's ideas about marijuana have changed over time. And, you know, I talked a lot about uh, last time, right? My mom was listening in last time uh, and she feels so much more informed. She's Mm -hmm. over the... probably somewhere over the Midwest. She's flying to California right now. So she's not listening in, but even her views on marijuana as I've used it over time have really changed. And, you know, she was born in 1953 Mm -hmm. and to kind of see where she was very much like a teetotaler when I was in high school and college. And now like Elena will do some edibles, right? I think I can say that now she's retired, but yeah, like, you know, Elena will get down every once in a while and she's okay with me smoking weed and kind of things that have changed over the time. And I'm another person, like, I think it's, it helps me relax. It's been a way to connect with people. Um, one of the side effects I do get is the persistent nausea from the HIV medication. Um, you know, I say my life is probably 99.99% normal, except I throw up a lot. And oh, no. I, yeah like daily or no not daily but definitely like a couple times a month i'm pretty like chill with it now like i can be at work go through up and then just come back to my desk and keep working is it linked to anything in like your lady cycle like why is it no it's um it's the medication that you take works very well but it's also pretty heavy duty medication so i try to take it when i'm asleep so i sleep through the nausea yeah but if i don't eat enough before i go to bed or the right foods or then i'll wake up nauseous in the morning yeah i wow i have problems with uh with prep like when i don't um when i don't eat enough which is when pretty much all the for time. prep yeah meal prep uh, for prep mm-hmm. meal prep for prep definitely <laughs> Meal prep makes me want to punch someone in the face. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I I definitely get nausea. And most HIV medication contains Truvada in it because Mm -hmm. Truvada is like a good booster drug. It makes other things work better. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I've (gasps) been on four different regimens and I've gotten nauseous off of every single one of them. Okay. What do you mean booster? (laughs) So like booster drug. Right. So HIV drugs work in combination. So Truvada mm-hmm. is actually two drugs. Yeah, I know that. So but. the so that it um when you're taking it in conjunction with other drugs for your HIV medicine, like the one pill I take is for HIV drugs mm-hmm. altogether. And each of those drugs works a different part of the HIV life cycle. Mm-hmm. And the Truvada can help increase the potency of some of the other medication that you're taking so that they work in conjunction. They work in tandem. So it's a booster as far as like HIV medications, not other medications. As far as I'm aware, just HIV medications. Okay, I was like, wait, is that why my tits are bigger? (laughs) No, I don't think it's going to do anything for your, no, nothing for the estrogen and progesterone. Yeah. Just we, the other HIV meds. We talked a bit about how some drugs have changed our lives in a positive way. There are also drugs that can change your life in a very negative way. Uh, they still might be fun. Let's talk about harm reduction. Right. So harm reduction is basically the idea that there's a continuum of drug use from, you know, occasional drug use or no drug use to chaotic drug use. And we can't really say that, like drug use really is good or bad. Like I said, addiction is a social construct. It is not a medical terminology. (laughs) It's substance use, substance abuse, or substance dependence. Addiction is kind of like a community word that also has a lot of really ugly stuff attached to it. But doesn't physical existence 
exist in the scientific community. Which would be dependence. Okay. Right. So if we stick to harm reduction, looking at drug use, you know, sort of along a more medical model that some people can use drugs and be okay, and some people can use drugs and not be okay. Some people can use weed, but can't be around Coke. She pointed at me. (laughs) (laughs) We did have a whole conversation the other day about people on Coke should only be around other people on Coke. Because they're all fucking annoying. Come on, kitty. Get out from under the bed, kitty. I won't play with a kitty. This is why I can't be around drag queens too much anymore because, like, they don't share their coke with me anymore. Is it because you shouldn't have it? No, it's it's because like I'm not a professional enough drag queen, and I'm like, oh fuck, right off. Like, I got other things. I got other things going on, hun. Like, sorry, I can't like join you in the powder room to powder your noses, faggots. But uh. So harm reduction is just reducing the harm associated with drug use without passing judgment on people who do or do not use drugs. But just recognizing that some people can use drugs responsibly and some people struggle with that. And if you are someone who struggles with using drugs and, you know, a lot of times like people don't really get HIV anymore from injection drug use, but being under the influence of drugs may not make you make the best sexual decisions. Mm hmm. So, you know, looking at harm reduction is one of the ways that like, all right, reducing the harms with drug use. And maybe that's negotiating before you get high, like condoms, pull out and or pray, lube, like what is safer sex going to look like when mm-hmm. you're using drugs? Dragons. What? <laughs> Everything looks like dragons. Everything looks like dragons. Uh, a little bit more than five minutes left. What's coming up? What's going on? Every Saturday at three o'clock, Dun Sun. That's about it. That's all. <laughs> what about Dave and Giggles? Fuck Dave and Giggles. Don't listen to them. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have genre reassignment, Brooklyn's only trans open mic on February 12th at Metropolitan Bar, 559 Lorimer Street. And I am actually taking a break from performing for a little while what? because I'm teaching now. Ooh. So I'm. Professor of Modesty Rose. Um, so I'm probably not going to be uh, performing again until May when I'm what? finished, done molding young minds. Can you say what you're teaching or you can't? I'm teaching a course on social advocacy through the lens of power, race, oppression, and privilege. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> and it's a college? It or, is. It okay. is. It is at Columbia University. Ooh. Amazing. Which I couldn't get into, but they'll let me teach at. <laughs> <laughs> what does that say? Right. <laughs> did you really want to take the classes there? No. We let I anyone didn't. teach. Right. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Not worth it. Oh, the one thing we I didn't we didn't get to talk about was hierarchy of infection. Go ahead. And that was the one thing that I feel like we need to talk about because we treat people differently according to how they got HIV. So we've talked about sort of like, you know, the blameless being people who are born levels of it. sympathy, levels of sympathy. Absolutely. So people who are kind of this blameless, if they were born from it, if they got it through a blood transfusion, both of which are extremely, extremely rare. Like there was one baby born in all of 2017 in New York with HIV. It still happens. Normally it's with women who are immigrant women who don't access prenatal care. Because if you get good prenatal care, you're not going to transmit HIV to your baby. That's amazing. 
it's yeah, it's fantastic. You too can have a normal baby if you are uh, if you have HIV and make it the old fashioned way. And then under that, we sort of have kind of this category of heterosexual people in monogamous relationships who were cheated on, like myself, other committed relationships where you were cheated on. And then we sort of, you know, um, sort of promiscuous sex or the party scene becomes less empathy. And then sort of at the bottom of the totem pole of sympathy is drug users or um, sort of sex work. Mm hmm. So, you know, the more sort of, you know, responsibility you're seeing in the decision making, regardless of the fact that everybody has had irresponsible sex at some point in their life. Some people are just more likely than others to draw the short straw mm -hmm. that nobody I mean, well, maybe you guys are a bad example. But I was going to say there's nobody in this room who hasn't done anything that I've already done. But I'm guessing there's uh, <laughs> <laughs> are we playing a game? Crowd. left for this game right <laughs> you saw the picture i did right but uh for most people in society right she's looking for a dig right oh now my God. like over 50 percent of pregnancies are unplanned right people enjoy having unprotected sex it feels good it's natural it's nice to be impulsive and there's no reason to blame people who just happen to have sex with the wrong person or draw the short straw because of the community you're in and are, have a higher risk that we didn't do anything that everyone else hasn't already done. And when we're talking about levels of, of sympathy, we can go back to July of 1981. Absolutely. And in 1981, when it was just gay men, back then, governments didn't care. No, nobody and, cared. And no one cared. The, the, there was not... Uh, America was not sympathetic towards homosexual men. Uh, and so, so what if they die? No, that absolutely. was the attitude. That's mm -hmm. why nothing was done. If it was 44 uh, members of Congress, there would have been an immediate reaction. There'd be immediate funding. But uh, it's, it's, it's hard for me to explain to younger folk what 1981 being gay or bisexual meant. I'm um, so grateful to all of those warriors who came before me. Like, mm -hmm. I know I'm alive because of all the people who did pass away very early on and how, you know, they fought like hell going down. Mm -hmm. And continue to do so. Uh, fill in the blank in your mind. Church. I'm sorry, not church. Couch blank. Hold on. <laughs> okay. Okay, you? Potato. I mean, that's what I was thinking. You? Potato. Spoon. <laughs> I knew it was true. I looked at you not getting it, and I'm like, "Yeah, bitch, you didn't get it. I got it, but you didn't. I wasn't gonna say it. Thank I was gonna. Girl. Thanks, Facebook. Thank you, Juno. Thanks, Facebook. Thank you, Immodesty Rose. Thank you guys so much for having me back. Oh, thank you. We're glad you came back. Yay! Catherine has a couch spoon. She does. It was gross. <laughs> Tune in each and every Saturday. At 7 p.m. for Art Star Scene Radio. We do a new show every week. Thank you all so much for listening, and uh, we will see you then. Bye. Bye. Yeah.